our history is rooted in revival. The church was birthed and started out of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean just our church. I'm talking about the global church, the worldwide church, the body of Jesus Christ was birthed in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But much of the church, much of what we see around the world today has gotten away from our revival history. And the focus is now more on having excellent, excuse me, excellent programs, promoting or advertising of the church, compassion ministries, effective leadership skills. And we've leaned into these things as the mechanism that we use to grow our churches. This is just human wisdom. It's driven human wisdom. And the problem with this is that the church wasn't birthed by human wisdom. It wasn't birthed by human endeavors or human ideas. It was birthed by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That is the birthplace of the church. Listen, there is nothing wrong with having excellent church programs. We need to have excellent programs for our children, for our students. We need to have excellent small groups programs. We need to be effectively promoting and advertising the church and the things that we do. We need to have leaders and pastors who are skilled in leadership that can lead well with organizational skills. And there is everything right about compassion ministry where we give food away and we we meet the needs of those who are struggling and we love on them. But the problem begins is that when we lean into all of these things instead of the Holy Spirit, instead of God's presence, we lean into our leadership skills. We lean into our good ideas. We lean into, you know, Facebook advertising and promoting. We lean into these things instead of leaning into the Holy Spirit. It should be very, very concerning to us if there is anything that we do that could continue just as it is if the Holy Spirit never showed up. God is the one that saves people. God is the one that transforms people. Listen, it's not our social media content. It's not our excellent graphics. It's not my incredible sermons. (laughs) Family, that wasn't a joke. (laughs) That was the place for you to say, amen. Yes, pastor. (laughs) You're not laughing at all. Oscar, maybe what we need is we need, you know, maybe we need, you know how like they would have the applause signs, but we need like a laugh sign and I'll cue you guys to know when you're supposed to laugh and then we'll get one that says amen. So we'll cue you guys to know when you're, you're supposed to say amen. <laughs> we have to get back to total reliance on the Holy Spirit, not just for ideas, Not just for creativity, which he is the source of our creativity, right? God is the creator. And as if we should be the most creative people on the face of the planet, because we have the creator who lives inside of us. But we need to not only get back to relying on him for the ideas and the strategies and things like that, but for what happens when we meet. What happens when we meet on Sundays for worship in our small groups What happens when we meet to give food away for compassion ministry, to love on people in our student ministries? What happens when we gather together for for planning meetings and prayer meetings? We need to be able to definitively point at the work of the Holy Spirit and what we are doing. And if we can't, then we have to adjust. 
Pursuing the presence of God is our number one priority. And everything else that we do comes secondary to the pursuit of his presence. And everything else that we do flows out of that pursuit of his presence. It flows out of our living in the presence of God. The cry of my heart is more of God at any cost. It doesn't matter the price. It doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter the sacrifice. I long for the outpouring of the presence of God when he comes and all we do is follow. We don't just like, we've, we've got this. And I mean, every, pretty much every church on the planet would have something like this. This is our order of service, right? Where we plan out who's opening, what, what's happening, what announcements, what songs, what keys is, is the song in, who's speaking, you know, how is the service ending? We plan it all out, but I long for the time when we, when we have this and we follow this and then he shows up and that happens and we just begin to follow him. where miracles and healings and the demonstration of the Spirit's power is not the exception, but it's the norm. It's normal to see bodies healed. It's normal to see people delivered of demons. It's normal. It's not the exception. Where we're hearing prophetic words and words of knowledge regularly, and not just from the pastoral team. We all hear from God where we see things happen that cannot be explained. When is the last time that you came to church and you saw something happen that you couldn't explain? I've said it, if I've said it once, I've probably said it 20 times. I don't want to serve a God that I can fully understand and explain. Like he is so much higher than my thoughts and my ways. I want to see us where we're encountering the glory, the glory of God in our midst, where what defines our worship services is the manifest nearness of the presence of Jesus. This is what took place in Acts chapter 2 at the birthplace of the church. Let's read a couple of these verses. We'll start in, it will start in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven like a rushing, violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were being distributed among them, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or different languages as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout and God-fearing men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound was heard, a crowd gathered and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing those in the upper room speaking in his own language or dialect. And they were completely astonished saying, look, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Drop down to, um, to verse 12. And they were beside themselves with amazement. And were greatly perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? But others were laughing and joking and ridiculing them, saying, They are full of sweet wine and are drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be explained to you. Listen closely, pay attention to what I have to say. These people are not drunk, as you assume, since it's only the third hour, which is nine o'clock in the morning. 
But this is the beginning of what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Acts chapter 2, they were all together. So this just doesn't refer to, to the location. Yes, they were in, all in the same place. They were all in the upper room. But they were also all together in unity. I've heard it said before that the miracle of the day of Pentecost wasn't the outpouring and the baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire and the sound of the violent rushing wind. It was that there was 120 people were all unified together for one purpose. See, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says that all the people were of one mind, one purpose. Everyone was there for the same reason. They were seeking God for what was to come because Jesus had told them to wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait until the Holy Spirit had come upon them. This was the one reason they were in the upper room. The Passion Translation says it this way, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding day and night. There are times we have a hard time coming to an agreement on how many decibels the sound should be in our services. Here they are together, 120 of them, for one reason, for one purpose. They were gripped in prayer. They were locked in with passion. They were seeking God, crying out to receive this promised power from the Holy Spirit that they honestly had no idea what they were waiting for. They didn't know what it was going to look like, sound like, feel like. They just knew Jesus said, wait, do not leave Jerusalem until you have it. Can I tell you that God rarely, if ever, works through a majority. He does, however, show up for a remnant. He does, however, show up for the individual. See, God, God is attracted to the hungry ones. God is attracted to the hungry ones that take hold of his promises and they refuse to let them go until he shows up. See, time and time again in the Bible, we read of stories where God came and he did something for the individual, where he came and he did something for a remnant of people. Right, like there's the story of Elijah who's on, on Mount Carmel. The nation of Israel is, is gripped with idolatry. They're serving the god Baal and all these false idols. And the prophet Elijah has had enough when he calls for a showdown to determine who the one true God is. And it's Elijah standing alone against 450 prophets of Baal. And he said, you guys build an altar. We're going to build altars. And the, and the God who answers by fire, fire falling from the sky, that's the one true God. And Elijah stood there and he prayed. And when he prayed, fire fell. See, God answered and showed up for the hungry individual. Then there's the, the story of Gideon from the, from the book of Judges. Again, the, the nation of Israel is, 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 is been, has been invaded. And he gathers 32,000 men to go into battle. And they are about to face 135,000. They are far, far outnumbered. It's not even a fair fight. But God looks down and he sees the 32, the, the, what did I say it was? 32,000. And he goes, Gideon, you got too many. Too many. I can only imagine Gideon's face. Too many. How can we possibly have too many? And so he leads Gideon through a, a, a series of tests. And the 32,000 was all the way down to 300. And God looks and he goes, all right, now you got enough. You got enough. And through 300 men, 
And I just, this is just like a footnote. This, this, the 300 men, this wasn't the riffraff, right? Because part of the test, some of the tests were if you're afraid, go home. So all those who were afraid went home. And, and, and some, one of the other tests was, it was watch how they drink. It's hot, they're thirsty, take them to the river and watch how they drink. Those who just plunge their face into the water, just send them home. They're not skilled enough. He was left with the bravest, the most skilled, the most ferocious warriors that Israel had, all 300 of them. And it was through 300 that God overthrew that army of 135,000. David walked onto the field of battle facing Goliath. Goliath was backed by a strong Philistine army. David was backed by God because the Israelite army was afraid and they were hiding in their tents because they had been mocked for days and days on end. Here's David standing on the field of battle. He's a young boy. He may be 15 years old. He's standing there facing a giant of a man. Like Goliath was like 10 feet tall. David kills Goliath and overthrows, leads the victory over the Philistine army. God isn't waiting for a majority to release an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to release revival. He's waiting just for a hungry few people that won't stop seeking him in simple devotion, holding on to his promises. See, it's important for us to understand that we don't, we don't work for or earn revival or outpourings of the Holy Spirit, but we do partner with him because he partners with us in prayer, right? These are sovereign moves of God, but he is looking for the hungry ones that he can partner with to release his presence, to release an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will not only shake a location like it shook the upper room, that will not only transform people like it transformed the 120 in the upper room, but that they spilled out and that revival, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit eventually transformed the entire city of Jerusalem. In every historical revival, there was a hungry remnant there was a hungry individual that was seeking and crying out to God for more of his presence. I believe the Holy Spirit's asking this morning, are there some hungry people here? Is there a hungry person here? Someone that will seek him, that will hold on to his promises, that will not let go, that will not give up, that will be like Jacob in the wilderness, wrestling with the angel, and he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse two says, suddenly. Come on, I love a good suddenly. Anybody else love a good suddenly? Come on, like like a good suddenly. It was this way and suddenly it's this way, right? There was nothing and suddenly there was something. I love a good suddenly. That word, you know, when you read it, it just kind of jumps off the page and it grabs your attention. Suddenly. Suddenly, it's not so sudden. The suddenly that we read about in Acts chapter two was 10 24-hour days of prayer and seeking and waiting in the making. See, suddenlies are great, but waiting, not so much. But we are, we're honestly though, we are, we're culturally preconditioned to expect suddenly to be sudden. I mean, it's kind of built into the word, so we expect sudden, right? The suddenlies to be sudden. But we've got, we've, we've got things that we, that we don't have to wait for. Microwaves, I mean, I don't, honestly, when microwaves come out in the late 70s, 
I don't even know how people lived without a microwave. Like seriously, I'm sitting on the, I'm sitting on the couch having coffee and my coffee gets cold. That's okay. I'll just put it in the microwave. I don't have to, I don't have to wait for a new cup of coffee. I just 30 seconds later, boom, hot coffee. There's no waiting. Drive through fast food. This is the whole premise of in and out, in and out. It's fast. You go in and you go out and you've got your food, quick food, right? We do, we do fast. Amazon same day delivery. Sometimes even within hours, if you spend a certain amount of money, they'll drop it off within like four hours. I don't even have to leave my house. You honestly, you can shop in your bathrobe, click, 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 click order. And then you just wait for it to show up. You don't even have to go check the door. If you've got a ring doorbell or one of those camera doorbells, because you can just watch, Oh, it's here. And then you just walk down and go grab it. We don't have to wait. There's no waiting. You don't even have to drive to the store. We've got instant access to the internet. Does anybody remember dial-up? Good gracious, that was the worst. When I was in college, my friend, like one of my roommates was like, oh, well, dial-up, we can do this, we can do it for, we can get it for free. And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. I, I couldn't use the phone for like four days because he was trying to download music. Every time I picked up the phone. Now though, does anybody else, if you're trying to like log into a website, Three seconds in, close, I'm done, <laughs> right? Or refresh, what is going on with the website? You know, statistically speaking, they say if your website doesn't load in 2.7 seconds, people bail. They'll just go somewhere else. We have, we're, we're preconditioned not to wait. Instacart shopping, right? Like we've lost the art of waiting in our culture and it's okay, there's nothing wrong with this stuff. I mean, who doesn't like shopping in their bathrobe? I don't have time for websites to, to load. Like I just, I need it now. But the problem is that it's bled over into our spiritual lives. Because here's the thing. We might not value the weight, but God values the weight. In Acts chapter one, verses four and five, this is, this is what Jesus said to the disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the father had promised, of which he said, you, but you will be baptized. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. How long is that? That is not long. What are we waiting for? Just wait. How long? Just don't go anywhere. Just, just wait. Could you imagine? We're here. Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, I've got something for you. It's not long from now, but just wait. Just don't go anywhere. Just don't leave the building. How long? No, no, don't, don't worry about it. Just wait. We, what we don't know is how many people started in the upper room. Maybe there was 300 people in the upper room when they started. Waiting's hard. Waiting's difficult. But what we do know is that when the Holy Spirit showed up, there was 120 of them in there. And you know, it's not, not just about waiting, but what we do while we wait is important. What did they do while they waited? They prayed. They didn't just sit around, but they were actively seeking, asking, knocking, crying out. They were soaking. They were worshiping. They were, they were listening for his voice. They were reading scripture. This is, this is waiting well. They were waiting well. In, like in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Is anybody ever ask God for patience? 
<laughs> no, that's the one prayer nobody wants to pray for because you start asking God, God, grow my patience and he's going to make you wait, right? But here's the thing, in the Greek language that Paul was writing, and it's not just about the ability to wait, it's what you do while, while you're waiting. It's waiting well. I mean, I can wait. I don't, <laughs> I don't wait well. I was dealing, like our, our bank at the, at the church was Bank of the West, and it got, it got bought out by BMO, which, if you didn't know, is, is a Canadian bank. <laughs> this is the invasion from the north. You didn't realize this. Invasion from the north. And we had BMO as our bank when we were in Canada. Um, and so everything got, kind of got messed up. And so I was on the phone trying to do something, unlock something with our, with our credit card. And I was waiting. Absolutely, I was waiting. I was waiting, and in my waiting, I spoke with five different people and none of whom could help me, and all of them who gave me different answers. I was waiting. I wasn't waiting well at all. I'm not a very good waiting well, right? I let them know I was waiting and that I wasn't doing well with my waiting. And eventually, the the fifth person, I said, listen, I've been on the phone like 45 minutes. You are the fifth person that I've talked to. I'm really hoping you could help me. And he was like, oh my. And he helped me. It was great. But I didn't wait well. How's my heart in the waiting? Right? What am I doing in the waiting? In the waiting for God to show up. In the waiting for the miracle we're hoping for. In the waiting for revival. In the waiting for an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. What are we doing in the waiting? What, see, like, we can, we can all wait. What time is it? I'm sure there's a football game on now, right? I, mean, I, don't, I don't watch football. I know that there's an outdoor hockey game that starts at 4 o'clock. But what are we doing while we're waiting? Are we just at home watching football? Or actually, other than that, I don't know what's on TV. We're on our phone, scrolling social media. Because honestly, there's nothing on live TV. I don't know how I don't know how people have actual TV. We were in a hotel this week and we turned the TV on to find something on live TV. Like literally, there was nothing on any channel. I'm like, there was like the Price is Right at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> What is happening? Don't waste the waiting. Don't waste your waiting. And have you ever noticed (laughs) that God doesn't operate on our timetable? And he's never in a rush. I've never seen God rush to do anything. Read through the gospels and all the stories of Jesus. Jesus didn't rush anywhere. His friend was sick and dying and he waited for four days. Like, you kind of hope like, hey, hey, you're, you're, one of your best friends is dying. You should probably hustle and get there. He was in no rush to get anywhere. He's on his timetable. God is in the waiting. God is in the waiting, not just in the outpouring. Seek him because there's value in the waiting. Like getting to know somebody doesn't happen suddenly, right? When I, like, I, when I got to know Renee, like we didn't just suddenly get married, like it was, I know that there are some who are like, you know, if you remember our, our friends, Joel and Kaylee, they were here, they, they dated for 100 days and they were married. They, their wedding was on their 100th day of their, of their relationship. That's still, there's, still there's, there's a little bit of waiting there, but Renee and I didn't suddenly get married. It took time. I had to pursue her heart. I had to get to know her. We spent time together alone. We spent time together in groups and I waited and I, I, I invested time and I actually outweighed because there were, this is a, the story is for another day, but there were a couple of guys that moved from one end of the country to the other end just to be near Renee. 
because they were trying to win her heart when I was already there, right? And I even had people say, oh, you're going to, this guy, he's coming. You know, and they're, they're kind of warning me, even though we were just friends and not dating, but that's okay. I awaited them, right? There's, 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 there's value in the waiting, right? And then, then we got engaged and then we got married. For some people from the outside, it might've been like, wow, that was fast. It wasn't so suddenly. There was waiting. Now I know the principle is, the story is different, but the principle remains. Are we pursuing his heart? Are you spending time with Jesus on your own in groups like this where we pursue together? There's value in the waiting. And let me tell you, it was worth the wait. Renee was worth the wait. Revival is worth the wait. Suddenly, there was a sound of a violent rushing wind. And then fire appeared on the head of each person. And they all began to speak in languages that they hadn't previously known. The Bible calls these, these languages tongues. These, these are tongues or different languages. And some of them are, are tongues of men and some of them are tongues of angels. And so they have, this, this was happening. And, and, and then they begin to spill out of the upper room. And as they spill out of the upper room, the, the crowd who had gathered, because they all heard the sound of the violent rushing wind. And so there was a crowd who had gathered. And when they started spilling out of the upper room, they started pointing at them. They started laughing at them because there was a spectacle. They're like, look at these people. It's nine o'clock in the morning and they're already drunk. These are called signs and wonders. Signs. Signs point to Jesus. And wonders, they make you wonder. They put you in a position of awe and to uh, soak in the mystery of God. See, the revival in Acts chapter 2 and that outpouring of the Spirit were, were marked by significant signs and wonders. It wasn't under human control. It wasn't initiated by the disciples. The disciples didn't start it. This was a sovereign outpouring of God on a group of people that were committed to seeking him until he came. They partnered with him in the waiting until he showed up seeking him. And then he came. Jesus comes where he is welcomed and where he is given space to do whatever he wants. Uncle Fred loves the lion. Loves the lion of God, right? Loves the lion. You don't invite a lion into your service and tell it to sit down on the front row like a good kitty. You let the lion show up and do whatever he wants to do. I'm holding on for an outpouring. I'm holding on to God for a revival because we need it. And even more than we, they need it. All the people who aren't here, all the people who are at, are at home, aren't in another church, they need it. And when it comes, things are going to happen that we're not going to understand. If you're taking notes, you can write, write this down. Chances are you will be offended. God is going to challenge 
your beliefs about him. Because whether we do it intentionally or not, we've put him in a box. And we said, this is how you move. This is what you do. When he shows up and we experience the manifest nearness presence of Jesus, our bodies will react. When we experience his presence, him on his terms and in his way, that's where he's welcomed. On his terms, in his way. Now listen, the focus isn't on the signs and the wonders and, and the things that we call the manifestations of the Spirit. That's what I would call the, the 120 who were, looked like they were drunk, right? That's a manifestation of the Spirit. The focus isn't on those things. The focus is on Jesus. It's on the presence of God. See, when all we want is Him, then we will not care how He comes. What we do know is that He does not go against his written word, ever. And so if there is something happening in a service and it goes against his written word, it's okay to stand up and say, excuse me, but that's not Jesus. But he is definitely free to challenge your interpretation of his word. And this is, gets a little, bit more, a little bit more uncomfortable. He is absolutely free to do things that are outside of the written word as long as they don't contradict his written word. There's been times when I've encountered the presence, the powerful presence of the nearness of Jesus, and I've lost all sense of awareness of myself. I've experienced this in Acts chapter 2, this, who we call being drunk in the Spirit. If you remember to our, our at the beginning of our, our series on the book of Revelation, we read about John who looked at Jesus and then it says he fell down like a dead man. I've experienced this Jesus showing up and just falling down, losing all capability and capacity to stand. I've laughed, I've cried, I've shook violently. And once, a couple summers ago, right there, I was stuck to the floor and I couldn't get up. God was so heavy on me, I couldn't, I couldn't turn my head, I couldn't lift a finger, I just laid on the floor. And it's not always convenient. It's, it's rarely dignified. I have in my notes to tell you a story of a, Renee and I used to attend a, a very dignified church where, where, where what was said was a, a man or a woman of God acts and looks a certain way. And they all looked and acted a certain way. And they did this thing called presbytery where they would invite prophets to come and then you would, you would come and kind of submit yourself to them and they would call you out of the crowd and they had two chairs that they would put on the, on the stage here, I'm just telling you the story. I said it was in my notes. I wasn't going to tell you. And then you come, and so Renee and I came, and we knelt down in front of these chairs, and the prophets would come, and they would prophesy over you about your future and about the, the ministry and the things that God has for you and things like that. And this is a well-put-together church. Weird, like, what you call weird things don't happen there. And so we were, we were there, and, and one of the prophets came over, and he started prophesying over us, and wouldn't you know it? <laughs> I started to laugh and giggle and I'm desperately trying to hold it together. Desperately trying to hold it together. 
Because I know people, well, everybody's looking, we're the only ones on the stage. There was no holding it together. The next thing I knew, honestly, I was underneath the chair and I was losing, I was laughing so hard. And then the, the prophet, I was so thankful that he was, he was, so, he was such a good man. He looks and he, he just pointed at us and he goes, you guys need to see this. This is okay. Was a little embarrassed, was a little undignified. But it doesn't matter to me as long as it's Jesus. Listen, hear me. I'm not interested in weird for the sake of weird. I want the authentic moving of the Holy Spirit. But if that's weird, sign me up, because I don't care. Peter started his sermon saying this. This is the beginning. This is the beginning. He, he was talking about what the prophet Joel prophesied about in the Old Testament. But what he didn't say was, this is that. He said, this is the beginning. It's the start. It's not like, this is the beginning, period. It's like, this is the beginning, dot, dot, dot. See, that, that, that outpouring, that revival in Acts chapter 2 wasn't meant to be contained in Acts chapter 2. It wasn't meant to be the story that we refer back to and, and where we, we preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit well, you know, once a year when it comes because it's you know, like 40 days after, after Easter. That's the day of Pentecost. That's the, that's the day that we preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you've been around here for, for a few years, you notice that we don't preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But it wasn't meant to be contained there. This is the beginning. This was the birthplace of the church. This is the birthplace of our church. And we need to go back to the foundation of what God started. Go back to that. We're not looking for the newest, greatest thing. We're not looking for the, for the, you know, the, the newest church growth model. We need to go back to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to go back to revival and start from there. That's where we need to be. Man, when I gave my life to Jesus, I was almost 21. I had an instant hunger for revival. I didn't even know what revival was. I did, like, people around me weren't talking about it. No one was teaching me about it. Just, I just, there was this word that was inside of me when I said yes to Jesus. It was revival, and I had this hunger inside of me. It was almost like when I got born again, God wrote that into my DNA. He wrote revival into my DNA. I was just hungry for him not knowing what it was. And I've, I've seen outpourings and revivals in, in the many years since then. Man, I'm hungry for the overwhelming presence of God in our midst. And that overwhelming presence of God, I'm hungry for that to be the dominating factor, not just in our meetings when we meet together, but in our lives when I go home that the manifest presence, the nearness presence of Jesus is the dominating factor of my entire life. Where I don't leave him at church, pick up again next time I'm here, but I take him home. I go to work with him. I go to the store. I'm desperate for his presence and that family is what revival is. It's Jesus. 
It's the presence of Jesus coming in close. It's his manifest power. It's, and it's, it's signs and wonders and miracles. But it's Jesus. And it radically transforms us. And then we take it to the city. And it transforms the city. Because it was never meant to stay in the upper room. They spilled out of the upper room. If they would have stayed in the upper room, 3,000 people would have not given their lives to Jesus that day. Because that's what happened at the end of Peter's sermon. And they weren't, you know what? And they weren't embarrassed of what was happening. They didn't try and push it back into the upper room so they could have a nice church meeting and not, not be, you know, embarrassed by what was taking place. God's not embarrassing. God is not someone to be ashamed of. We don't need to make God more appealing. Jesus is pretty attractive on his own. The rough truth is, oftentimes we're not so attractive. But Jesus, Jesus is still popular. Now we don't push what he does into a back room. Just, it just stays in the prayer room. I want you to stand this morning. Our beginnings must be recognized, must be honored and valued for them to be of use in all that we are building here. We cannot forget what got us here. It was him. Jesus got us here. It's not programs, it's not technology, it's not lighting, it's not sound. All, there's nothing wrong with all of those things unless they become the vehicle for us to try and build the church because that is a sandy foundation. I just want you to close your eyes. And I know it's, it's a little bit late, but we're going to take a moment. We're going to wait. And, and if you're hungry for him, you can stay where you are. Or you can come forward. And I believe that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit upon you. And if you have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit with speaking in other languages, I believe that's what's going to take place today. Whether you come forward and we pray or you're at your seat and, we, and, and you, you pray there, I just want you to close your eyes, lift your hands to heaven and seek Him. Worship Him. Cry out for Him. Jesus is the one that John the Baptist said, there's another one coming and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. One interpretation of that is that he will baptize you with the raging fire of the Holy Spirit.